pastors, been privileged to pastor this church for a bit here, um, a number of years. If you're visiting with us, I just want to say thanks for joining us. We'd love the opportunity to meet with you afterwards. Happy Memorial Day. Um, can we just give our, I, I think it's, it's worth in this moment as we remember um, those who have served, those who have lost their lives for our freedom. You know, um, the Bible says that no greater love is than when a friend gives up their life for one another. I'm paraphrasing, but um, that Jesus did that for us. But then we think about all the people who have gone before us who have done that. Um, this is what we can sort of in this weekend say thank you. So can we just give a round of applause? I know there's people who have served, lost people. Um, we are, we're so blessed. Um, and to think of people before us who have given up so much for us to have the lives we have, um, just worth saying thank you and being thankful for that. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into our teaching. Lord, we give, we give thanks that you gave up, um, Jesus, your life for us to demonstrate your incredible love for us. When we think about all the lives that have been sacrificed across the world for us um, to live in freedom. And um, how, do we, how do we express our thankfulness? But we, we try to in this moment just to say thank you. And we remember all those who have given so much on our behalf. Uh, bless us now as we look into your word. Would you spirit speak? In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we started a new series that we're going to be in for a lot of the summer. We're going to do a book study um, on the book of Galatians. Galatians is a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, a church in a region of, of Galatia, which is modern-day Greece. And um, it's in the New Testament, six chapters, but it holds a powerful punch. And last week, really set... The, I would say the cornerstone for what this, this letter is really addressing and about, and that is the gospel, which is really the cornerstone uh, of the church. I mean, Jesus is the cornerstone, but the message of the gospel is our bedrock. It is, it is what we profess, and to understand it, to know what it is, to actually be able to articulate it is vital in the life of a Christian. And I would just encourage you, um, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to that message because it is, it is fundamental to the Christian faith and a lack of understanding um, of it leads us astray. And Paul addresses that early on, that people were being led astray by a false gospel, a false message, a perverted gospel. And um, since, since Christ died and resurrected, that's been the case. People have been led astray by a perverted or untrue gospel. And so it's vital that we understand what is the true gospel so we're not led astray by a, false, by a false one. And so Paul, he, um, he's addressing this and he, he goes on to sort of give his, his then testimony to um, how the gospel has really functioned in, in, in his life. And when, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, um, here's a guy who really, he should not be <laughs> the, the sort of poster child for, the, for Christianity in the early church. He's somebody that you would not pick. You would not draft for your, you know, on your team um, with, with the purpose of expanding the message of Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's because uh, Paul has a checkered past. He grew up um, a devout uh, 
Jew who actually was very talented, very skilled, very intellectual. Um, he moved up in, in the ranks of Judaism. He, he was um, elite in the traditions of Judaism. And Jesus was a threat to the elitists. Jesus was, because he was, he was, he was saying things that made uh, the elite and the powerful and the religious leaders of the day, including Paul, very uncomfortable. And so they murdered Jesus because of it. And Paul really early on um, continues to eradicate this movement, and he's a part of eradicating this movement. He was present at the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts. We read this story. And so there's blood on Paul's hands. This is a man who's persecuted Christians. This is a man who has, has blood on his hands for the murder of Christians. In every sort of way, we would look at Paul um, as disqualified to be used by God, to be accepted by God. With what he has done and the atrocities uh, you know, that he had authority over, here's a man who should have been blatantly rejected by God and blatantly rejected by the, the leaders of the early church. But Paul's story and Paul's life is a demonstration of the incredible power of the gospel. You know, I was talking about rejection this last week with my, um, with my counselor. And you're like, what? The pastor sees a counselor? Yeah, do this job for as long as I have and you'd see one too. Um, no, I do. I think, you know, I, I, it's super helpful for me. Um, I'm blessed that I can. And we were, we, we were talking about rejection. Um, Paul Johnson, who's our senior pastor, uh, he, he has said to me over and over again throughout the years, you know, ministry is a perpetual cycle of letting people down. It's just, it's sort of par for the course. No matter which way you go, no matter what you do, there's going to be a certain group of people that you let down. Like rejection is just kind of part of, our, of the game. And um, I was digging into that this last week, just rejection. And not just from a church, but just in my life. And looking back at, at sort of the power that rejection has had over me from the earliest moments of my life. And rejection, I think, every, well, I don't think, I know um, that every single one in this room has faced rejection at some level, in some form. And likely you experienced rejection at, at a very early age. It might have come in the form of, you know, relationship with your parents or one of your parents, other children, a teacher, a coach, a group of children. Um, but these, these sort of seeds of rejection get planted early in our life. And as a child, we don't know how to deal with it. We don't, we don't know how to sort of work through it, and so we often don't, and no one really teaches us how to deal with it. And so we don't, but these seeds of rejection grow and grow. And there's a lot of adults, a lot of us in this room, who are rocking around wounded because of rejection. So I was just, you know, I was talking about, about this with, with my, um, my counselor and and just the ways in which those wounds sort of influence the way that I, I live my life or the way that I think or decisions um, that, I, that I make. And um, as we were talking, I just felt like, like God 
was speaking in this, in this session, uh, like into that rejection. And, I, and this is what I hope I might be able to do through the Spirit this morning for you. And not me do it, but I, I, I really pray that the Spirit would speak into your rejection this morning. So I just, I want to pray that. Lord Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, we've all been hurt by rejection in life in some, in many forms. And um, there may be ways that people in this place are walking around wounded by rejections that they just ignore or fail to see or don't know how to deal with. Um, Would you open up those wounds, clean them out this morning by your spirit, and heal them through your name, Jesus, by the power of your blood. So spirit, we just ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to read for you um, Galatians 1, starting in verse 11. It says, I want you to know, uh, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. So he's come through the first 10 verses Um, does a little sort of introduction, hey, how you doing? And then he gets right after it, and this is what we talked about last week, where he's like, I'm astonished that you guys have turned from the gospel I've preached. Um, And then he, you know, he he tells us really, you know, what the gospel is. And if you go, which I didn't put up here, um, but in verse 3 he says, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. That is the gospel, real, real, you know. We have been rescued by Christ from our sin by his death and his resurrection. Um, so he goes on now to say, like, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And this is important because what he's saying is he's saying, like, this isn't just sort of something that one of, you know, somebody told me. Somebody shared with me. This isn't even something that like an angel shared with me or one of the apostles, the disciples shared with me. This was direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Like this is direct revelation from God. Like this is, and because it's from God, it is not of human origin. You know, it is truth. And what I tell you is not some some sort of somewhat true version of what the gospel is. It is the true version because it came from Jesus Christ himself. So he wants them to know that. So then he goes on and he really gives his kind of his testimony here, which is, a, you know, which some of you go, what's that? Like testimony is like, we all have a story. You know, our lives are telling stories and our story of, of recognizing Christ and what he's done and and what he's done in our life, like the testimony that we all have is, is the story of what, how Jesus has entered our lives and what he's done and how he has saved us. And so Paul really kind of in this moment, he goes from telling them what the gospel is and the power of the gospel and that this was not something of, of human origin or even from angels, but it was from Christ himself. And then he gives an example of the power that has, it has had in his life. Like, look at what it can do. So he goes on in verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, which I made some comments earlier about, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. 
I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, here's a man, I just that sticks out to me, called me by his grace. Why would God call this guy, you know? If it was about how good you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished and how holy and righteous and obedient you are, Paul's never called by God. But if it's about grace, which that's what Paul's saying, it is about nothing I've done, nothing I deserve. Um, It's purely by the love and grace of God that he has chosen me because he's chosen me. Then Paul, despite what he's done, has been called by God and is perfectly capable by the power of God to be saved and used by God. But God was, called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. And, and here's why, because he's the most unlikely figure in the early church to be called to be an apostle, to be a disciple, or to be an apostle, to be a, an evangelist. And his, ultimately, God has called him to go out and reach the, the Gentiles. And he's like, my initial response is like, I probably don't know, like, I don't know if I should say anything because no one's going to believe this. I mean, the one guy who the church was afraid of is now on our side. Do you know what most of the, like Peter, disciples, early Christians would have thought? This is his way of backing in to tear us apart. He's, you know, he's, get, he's telling us that he's, oh, he's had a revelation and Jesus, he's saved and now he's a Christian. But have we, I mean, look at his history. Look at his rap sheet. He's trying to back his way in gain our trust, become one of us, so then at the right time, you could probably turn on us. That's my guess that, that, that Paul's thinking. And it's, I mean, if he is thinking that, it's, it's, I mean, is that not how most of us would respond? I mean, do you ever hear about certain people, celebrities and stuff who become Christians and they start professing Christ? And you want to like be excited and celebrate, but there's, a, there's kind of a part of you that's like, uh, like, Really? Is it really true? And you hope it's really true, but you have kind of that, that like, oh, really? They were all going, really? Paul? So he says, "Um, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, which Brody's going to talk about next year, kind of these gaps, which are next year, um, <laughs> next week. Um, these sort of gaps, which I think are important, of, you know, he, become, he, he is saved, and he knows he's called. But Paul's intentional, like, about taking time for the Spirit to work in his life. And, like, Well, I'm going to let Brody preach on it. You got to come back. Did you say please? Oh, I was that your dad said please. Like, 
Um, but um, he waits three years. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, which I think is always interesting when Paul uses his other name, um, and stayed with him 15 days. So three years go by, and he goes to Peter, who, remember, Jesus says, you're the rock of the church. I'm going to build the church upon you, Peter. And he stays with him for years. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I am writing you to you that this is no lie. It's like almost make-believe here. How could this happen? Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. It was authentic. It was real. He was accepted by Peter. He's ultimately accepted by the apostles. The early church and the, and the people in the early church are, are I mean, that, that last verse is so powerful. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of it. They did not reject him. Christ did not reject him. In fact, he chose to use the most unlikely person to play a significant role in the early church. And so my question for you this morning is this. If Paul can be saved by the wonder-working power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can you not be? No matter how checkered your past is, no, ma no matter how you know, evil your intentions may have been, no matter how um, um, hurtful you have been in relationships to people that you love, no matter your addictions, your problems, your pain, no matter your hate, toward other people or even God himself, no matter the persecution or the, the things you may have said about Christians in your past, are you outside of the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul is a demonstration that no one is. His life is a demonstration that no one is. Maybe it's why God chose Paul by his grace. So that there wasn't a human being who ever lived who thought that they were outside of the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as I, as I talk to my, my counselor just about, about rejection and, and sort of the wounds of, of rejection, I, I caught myself like almost preaching to myself in this session. Um, and, and, and the thing that I, I felt like God was saying to me, like it was weird. It was like I was talking, but it was like it wasn't me. And then it was like going back into me. Like God, it, was, it was this really kind of strange moment where I was like, you know, rejection by people is a terrible thing. It's a harm, hurtful and harmful thing. It's an atrocity that every single one of us experiences. But you know what is unrecoverable? Rejection by God. It's one thing to be rejected and it's hard and it's painful to be rejected by your parents or your dad or your father or your grandfather or your friends or groups of people or sports teams or coaches, you know? It's hard and it's painful. But the, at the end of the age, you're not going to worry about the people who rejected you. At the end of the age, all that will matter is whether or not God, when you look him in the eyes, 
receives or rejects you. Rejection by God is, is, is not just tragic. It's unrecoverable. And yet, Jesus Christ, and this is the gospel, the Father rejects the Son so that the Father would never reject us. Jesus takes on our sin, and in doing so, he is rejected. There's that moment on the cross where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, Father, you know, why are you forsaking me? It's, in, it's like in this moment that the Father has to turn his back to the Son because of the sins of all mankind has been thrust upon the, the innocence of our Messiah and the holiness of God like will not, cannot put up with sin. And the father rejects the son, like turns from his son. Because all of our sin, my sin, your son, sin has been heaped on Christ. And it is this rejection of the son that means that you and I will never, can never, like, in Christ, be rejected by the Father. And I, I started to wonder, like, maybe that's where, maybe that's where we start when it comes to the wounds of rejection. I mean, how many of us in, 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 our, in the moments of, you know, or seasons of rejection where, where, we're, where we're pained by the rejection of this world or or, or people sort of preach to ourselves the rejection of Christ on our behalf. That it was the joy set before him to, to, for, the, for Jesus to do that for us. That, that, he would, that, he would, that he would take our rejection so that the Father could look upon us and receive us. I got no shot when I, stand before, when I stand before God unless Jesus is my intercessor. I got no shot. I have not lived good enough. I have not done enough. And I've got enough of a rap sheet to send me to hell. And so if it's based on that, when I stand on the judgment day before God, I am in trouble. I will be rejected by the Father because I have not lived up to the standards of perfection and holiness and righteousness that invite me into the very presence of God. But if when I stand on judgment day before the Father and the Son is next to me and the Father sees what the Son has done for me and in me, then I, the gospel is I will not be rejected by the Father, nor will you. That is what, the gospel is substitutionary in nature. It is Jesus taking our place. So 
So when I think about all the times, you know, I've been rejected or I'm dealing with the pain of rejection in my life, the thing I got to start doing is I got to start preaching the gospel to myself. My kids, you know, having kids, my kids are getting to an age now where like they're, they're experiencing rejection. You know, like when they're real little, the only sort of rejection is like, don't take my toy, you know? Like, but they're getting to a point where they're old enough where they're starting to interact more and more with friends and being influenced, for better or worse, more and more by friends. And uh, naturally, kids tribe together and some are in and some are out. Adults do the same thing. But my kids and I watch it and I see how my daughter will maybe be invited to things while my son is, is rejected. And so from the earliest of, of, of their lives, like rejection is being introduced and they're experiencing rejection. And as I sat in that session and I was talking about my own rejection, I thought about the rejection of my children and how as a father am I gonna teach my kids? Because I, I will not be able to protect them from rejection. As much as I want to, as much, of, as much control as I maybe try to, to, to have over my children, I'm, I, will, I will never be able to keep them from ultimately experiencing rejection in some form throughout their life. They will. So it isn't my job as a father to protect them from every form of rejection. It'll be, it's an impossible task. My job as a father is to, is to teach my children the truth of how to respond to it. How to go to God with it. How to find comfort in it. And it's not just, oh, go find other people that will accept you. That's just, that is the hamster wheel. That, that people are just on. I was rejected by this, so I'm gonna go find like a, an alternative. And maybe that fixes things for a moment or maybe it feels good for a, a moment, but I think it doesn't heal the, like the, the wounds. Like it, it, it doesn't get to the roots of rejection. My role as a parent is to teach my children at the earliest of age, at the earliest of, of age, like life is full of rejection, Jonas. There's gonna be people who invite you and welcome you in and there's gonna be people who intentionally keep you out. You're, there's gonna be birthday parties that you're invited to and birthday parties that you're not invited to. There's gonna be moments where I fail you as a father and it will feel like I am rejecting you because you didn't meet my standard. You may not make the A-team. You know, girls, the girl you wanna to take to the prom might go with another guy. Unlikely, but... No, but your life, painting a rosy picture of your children never experiencing rejection is not helpful for them. They will just then, um, 
they'll think something's wrong with them because you never taught them about it, never told them it's a reality and that it would happen. They'll get sideswiped and they'll think, oh, something's wrong with me. And then they won't know how to deal with it. My job is to say, you know, Jonas, Laney, life is full of rejection. And it's hard. And it hurts. And I'm sorry. But I need you to know something. Jesus understands When you are rejected and you feel the depth of the pain of rejection, Jesus understands that. He was rejected. In the garden, his friends, his closest friends abandoned him. He heard Peter reject him blatantly. I do not know. I am not one of his followers. One of his best friends in the greatest time of need, when, you, when he needed his friend the most, he abandoned and rejected him. And then he hung on the cross and the father rejected him. Jesus understands the greatest depths of our rejection. So you are not alone Jonas in in your feeling of rejection and you can go to Jesus with it and guess what he is not a God who doesn't understand he is a God who understands because he has been there there he has been there himself and then know this his his rejection was so that you never have to be rejected by God never You can always go to God. He's always going to be there for you. No matter what you've done, when you go to him, he takes you back. People will fail you, but God never will. And Jesus made sure of it by going to the cross. That's the stuff that we've got to preach deep into our hearts. It's this, it's, it's, that's the power of the gospel that can start to heal the wounds of rejection. And Paul here is saying, real honestly, this is my story. But by the grace of God, he pulled me out of my sin and my despair. By the grace of God, he can pull you out of your sin and despair. It is that good. It is not about you and what you've done or haven't done. It is about Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has done and the rejection he faced. So we have the opportunity to never be rejected by the Father. There is a redemptive hope that the gospel gives us. I can't remember where I heard this this last week, but if you remember the story of Moses, and the band can make their way up. Um, you remember Moses sinned? And because he sinned at the end of his life, God said, um, I'm sorry, you don't get to go into the promised land. You're not going to lead the people into the promised land. And um, by the way, this is the problem with this table, and I don't preach it. I just like to lean on it. Um, 
Moses is, is, he sins and God's like, there's a consequence. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to your sins or that God won't allow, you know, you to, to go through like the consequences of your sin and that can feel like, like a rejection. It's not. It's not like he abandons us. So don't believe that. The enemy will try to trick you into thinking that God's discipline is his rejection. It's not. I discipline my kids. I'm not rejecting them. So don't get caught up in that game. But, but Moses ultimately has, you know, like God says, I'm rejecting your entrance into the promised land. And Moses dies. But then, I, who did, where did I hear this this last week? I told, was talking to somebody about it. But then, um, and I never thought of it. But then you think about the moment, there's a story about, it's called the transfiguration, where Jesus, um, you know, goes up on a mountain and, and Moses and Elijah are there. And it's this like beautiful story of the gospel, like the good news. Like Moses, all, like in that moment, was in the promised land. I never thought of that. And so, yeah, there was like this, you know, Moses, you royally messed up and you got it, like there's, there's, a, there's a penalty for this and a discipline, you don't get to go in the promised land. And yet there's like this gospel, beautiful message of like, ultimately Moses did get in, you know? And there's a redemptiveness, like the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a redemptive story. And there may even be things in this life we may not redempt, you know, experience the redemption of, but we will in the next stage. And that is the power and the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, that it is for us today and for us tomorrow. So I just, I invite you, because God invites us, to bring our pain and rejection to him. And I wonder if you would open your heart to maybe the rejection you've ignored in life, the seeds that have grown up and, and kind of lived in the shadows, but if you're honest, they're still wreaking havoc in, in your life. Or to maybe finally let go of like the lies around God could never love me I could never, like, I could never be a part of the redemptive story of Christ. And I would just go, Paul is an example that that's, <laughs> that's not true. If God can save and redeem and use a man like Paul, he can save and redeem and use a man like me and a man like you and a woman like you. It's just as simple and powerful as that. It is amazing grace, which we're going to sing now. And it is something we get to receive if we choose and celebrate because it is truly good news. Dear Lord, you want to stand with me? Dear Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you suffered and died, that you took the rejection that we deserved so that at the end of the age, God, we could stand before you and you see the righteousness of Christ in us. That as you looked at the sun and turned away because you saw the ugliness of our sin and my sin, 
It was through the blood sacrificed by Christ and the atonement of our sin that you could now look at me and my brothers and sisters in this room and see the righteousness of Christ in us. And that we can do nothing but receive because it is a gift, a free gift of grace. Thank you. So Spirit, um, move now in our hearts and minister to us in ways that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.